What up, Glassball World? It's your boy Vince, and it is FRPC Hoops. We back on the air, Front Runner Podcast Collective, and we are late. We were supposed to get you something by well Wednesday, and I know it's a day late and a dollar short, but um, we had a we had a family member who went into the hospital, so uh, you know things happen. So we are now back. And we are now on the air, and I am excited to do it. We have a lot to get into in regards to the NBA. So we're going to get into that momentarily. A couple things that are like house cleaning measures. Uh, You will get a second pod uh, before the weekend is over. Do not worry yourself about that. Um, We got a ton of stuff in this pod, so you're still going to get the two pods a week. No questions there whatsoever. And then we will go ahead and get back on regular schedule next week where you should expect a pod like at the first part of the week and then the back half part of the week. So we're getting back into that situation and I'll have clarification on dates and times and or not uh, dates, whether it be Monday, Friday or be you know, Tuesday, Friday, or Monday, Thursday, um, we will have something, and I'll probably have it on the next podcast. So keep it locked here, and we will go ahead and now get into this part. Um, First and foremost, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers are now 21 and 12. Brody in the beard have shown tremendous unselfishness by just sacrificing their games. Um, I mean, we can talk about a lot of things here, and I have not been the biggest Harden proponent at all. You know my thoughts on how he left Brooklyn, Houston, and even you know Philadelphia, even though I think that was more on the Maury front. It was probably his issue more than anything else. But that being said, the way that Harden and Westbrook, because those two are the guys that actually had to really sacrifice their game. And we'll talk about usage rate in a second as well. But I just love how both of them are playing. I love just the, the willingness for Westbrook to go to the bench he did not do that with the Lakers. He he threw a fit. Um, maybe it wasn't communicated very well. We'll get into the Lakers a little bit later. Um, but it is actually working now. And then what has what it also has happened? Obviously, we talked about a couple weeks ago. Is Kawhi Leonard has also gone off and been the player that we know of Kawhi to be. Now, he's had a hip issue the last couple games, but they don't think it's serious, and he should be back on the court shortly. Let me give you a couple numbers that you kind of need to think about. Westbrook is averaging 11 points a game um, in 23 minutes a night. So... This is a far cry from a guy who 
was a like 36 to 38 a minute a game guy, and now he's getting relegated to a bench role. And again, whether we saw what Westbrook's future was before Westbrook, it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that he has made some adjustments. We get on people for you know not playing the right way, not having the right mental attitude about certain situations. But we're also going to spotlight athletes when they actually do the right thing. And Westbrook, for all of the issues that he had last year, he looks like a fountain of hope this year. I mean, he's smiling. Things are going well. And the team is winning, which is always very, very important when it comes to this situation. Now, Let's get a little bit into Harden's number. 17.6 per game as far as points, 8 assists, and we're looking at 34 minutes a game. Now, those aren't peak Harden numbers, and we'll get into that in 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 a second, but it is what actually is needed for the Clippers right now for them to be successful, and what we are also seeing is them play just a high level brand of basketball. And you can never be mad about things like that. He's providing this. He's providing a steadying force on offense. And then, and if you remember when they were looking to do this, when they brought Westbrook in, they thought he could stabilize the offense. But now you got a real point guard who has a real feel for the game. He has a real feel for getting the ball to the player at the exact right time. He also took, when they had the little losing streak with when he first got there, Harden took Zubac aside, and they worked on the pick and roll after the games. And if you noticed over the last 10 to 12 games, that pick and roll has been phenomenal. So kudos to Harden on making some of these adjustments. Man, we are. Hey, man, I got to give it to him. The other thing that he's doing, he's providing great energy and physicality on defense. He's a load. He's always been a load. Um, he has great hands, and he's been getting a lot of deflections and steals, and it's been really interesting to watch. Now, we're also going to get into, here. here's the thing that I want to talk to you about. Pete Harton, right? He was getting up 20-plus shots a game, right, with the Houston Rockets. This is like MVP season Harden. This is, you know, 35 points a game Harden, that guy. Point guard Harden is getting up 11.1 shots a game. Again, we asked for change, and we've gotten it. We asked for Harden to fit in. And he has. So, no, this is not, oh, well, you know, trash Harden, whatever the case may be. No, no we're going to get platitudes when it is called for. And right now, with a 21-12 record, with them both playing so unselfishly, Kawhi Leonard playing at a high level, Paul George playing at a high level, this team is back. And this is a team that we literally have to consider 
or one of the teams that is going to be a contender at the top of the Western Conference. Now, that Western Conference is loaded. Uh, Shouts out to Minnesota Timberwolves for having the best record in the West. And shouts out to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are now second in the West. It's pretty damn interesting, I must say. Now, here's the thing. We know that Harden is is hunting a lucrative deal. You know, something, you know, a contract extension, what have you. Uh, you we can talk about we can talk about why he's playing this way or whatever. Is it gonna is he gonna change his spots back once he gets some money or whatever? Here's the things that I will tell you. Is that if you look at what you are getting from Harding this year, if you're looking at the productivity, the way he's playing the game, should you reward this? And the key is, will he continue to play like this once he gets the bag? They're questions. They are questions. But what you can actually see right now is a willingness to give up some of himself for the betterment of the team. And again, that's all we can ever ask for. Now, here's a question that I'm going to ask X. With him playing the way he has been playing, James Harden, that person that we're talking about, would you give him a three-year deal? Hit me up on uh, X at FrontRunnerPC or hit up my guy Nico at NicoFRPC. I really would like to know. I know there's a bunch of hardened stands out there. They don't think he can do anything wrong. I definitely understand that. But I want to I want to hear from true Clicker fans. I want to hear from Hoop fans, you know, who might need a guard. Are you willing to give Harden if what you've seen this year and you believe in it? Are you willing to give Harden a 3-year deal? Do you think that Leopard will actually change his spots to the point where you can trust him enough to give him a long-term extension? Again, hit me up on X and let me know. I'll be really interested to find that out. A couple other Clipper notes that I want to throw at you is this. They're seventh in the league in offense. Offensive rating is 118.5 right now in the defensive rating. They are 11th currently, and they are sporting a 113.6 defensive rating. Um, they are just playing well. That that little bump in the road that they had early in the season seems to have dissipated, and they are better for it. A couple more notes on Harden and uh, Russ. <clears throat> Keep in mind, both of these guys have a commonality. Not only have they played together before and and had a tremendous amount of success individually in the league. The other thing that you have to understand is that they both do not have a championship at this present time. And I am sure that is something that... I'll put it this way. Westbrook showed a kind of blasé-faire attitude towards winning last year. 
I'm not saying he's not a winner. Please do not misconstrue what I'm saying. But Westbrook seems very comfortable in his skin. He also feels very comfortable in his career. Now, if you got him to the side, got him alone, had a couple drinks, you know, everything is flowing, everything is nice. I wonder if you would get a more open answer when it comes to does Westbrook think he thinks that he needs a title for his legacy. Now, the one person that we don't have a question with that is, is James Harden, because he actually told us. This is what Harden said. I'm still focused on adding an NBA championship to, to all the phenomenal, phenomenal statistical um, career that I've had. It is something that eludes me, and it's something that keeps me up at night. So I think my man is still looking for that ring, and I think that as long as he's still on that chase and he can play at a high level, and the great thing about Harden is that the speed that he's at right now is basically the speed he's probably going to be at for the rest of his career. It wasn't like he had this crazy uh, vertical or this tremendous speed or anything like that. He's built like a tank. He can get to any place on the court. And as long as they continue to allow this dude to use his forearm, he is going to be able to create space and create an open shot for himself as long as he wants to. So, The Clippers are playing well. James Harden has come in and assimilated himself very well to this team. And Russell Westbrook has taken a back seat and is coming off the bench and has nothing to say. It truly is upside down year. I know it's a leap year, but I'm also going to officially say 2024 is upside down year. Because we didn't see any of this coming. But a welcome change than literally shitting on Harden the whole time. So it's a welcome change. I'm actually here for it. So kudos to James Harden. Kudos to Russell Westbrook on their phenomenal start. And 33 games in, proof is in the pudding. All right, we're going to move on. And let's talk about the Knicks and Raptors, and we'll talk about the trade a little bit more. Now, there's been a couple games played. OG Ananobi is doing OG Ananobi things. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that it's not the points, it's not the rebounds, it's not him uh, facilitating the offense. It's exactly what he was in Toronto, which is a is a guy who can he definitely understands defense. He takes on the challenges of the toughest offensive player on the opposite team. And his job is to make them as inefficient as possible. And he does it with a smile on his face, which also means that Tom Thibodeau, Knicks head coach, 
has a smile on his face as well. So he fits like a glove with that team. Um, so what we've seen so far. Now, mind you, mind you, this is one game. It is one. So we are going to save our judgments on who won, who lost the trade, whatever. I've heard Raptors fans or people who are like on Barrett and Quigley's side, they won the trade. I've heard people say that the Knicks has won, won the trade. As an old school person, something that some somebody said to me a long time ago, whoever got the best player in the deal won. Well, right now, OG Ananobi is the best player. Now, quickly can become. He's a really good player now, and I do believe, and we'll get to him in a second, because he's played well um, since he's been in Toronto. But right now, OG Ananobi is the best player in this deal. And if that's the case, then if that's what we're going off of, Knicks won the trade. But I believe that with this situation is that this might be one of those deals that everybody won. And I know people really hate hearing that. But if you look at it, it solves needs on both sides of the, on both sides of the aisle. Toronto needed another ball handler, another creator. OG Ananobi, who wanted to do that, is still really not that guy. And getting somebody also who can just provide like outside shooting and just fearlessness, that's exactly what Toronto wanted. And they also got RJ Barrett, who is a six foot six wing, who, yes, albeit hasn't shot the ball very well. We would definitely like to see more playmaking ability or offensive creation with him. But at the end of the day, if you can get a guy who's like more committed on defense and he basically becomes like 70, 80% of what OG Ananobi became or is, I think you can go ahead and look at this trade and say, hey, we did very well for ourselves when it comes to Toronto. See if there was anything couple more notes on this game that I need to tell you guys about. No, I think that's about it, man. I think we're good there. Oh, there were a couple things I wanted to let you in on. Quickly, I wanted to talk about did we know that Quickly was the all-time leader in plus-minus in New York Nick history? When I heard that stat, I was like, what? That's nuts, but it's true. The other thing that this deal does for Toronto is it lengthens it lengthens out the bench. It provides them with a little um, just some more options to go off of that they, than they had previously. And in New York's situation, what it does for them, it kind of thins out the bench. It allows Josh Hart. And Quentin Grimes to get minutes. Dante DiVincenzo seems to be fitting in very well in Gotham. So, another wing that can help Julius Randle on the boards 
is always going to be something that, especially for Tom Thibodeau, is going to be something that he's going to want. And he's always going to lean defense before he leans offense. I got a couple numbers that I want to get off today. Um, I want to shout out on X, NBA University. Um, so they have a couple stats here that I want to talk about, and it kind of leads me into the next thing. Because we talked about the Clippers earlier, and now I want to give you a stat. The effective field goal percentage, and they even gave like a, a definition. It's on why Oakland catch and shoots, field goal attempts. The Lakers right now are 29th in the NBA. Who's 30th? Take one guess. It is the Detroit Pistons at 30 who are shooting at 51% at this present time. Okay, so we saw the game last night, and we're going to get into that right now. Um, man, I got notes here, but I want to... Uh, man, I'm... Uh, <laughs> Woo, that was tough last night. Okay, so here's what I had from last night, and I also have just thoughts that I just want to give you guys. Um, watching Lakers in the first quarter last night was a soul-exhausting experience. Turning the ball all, all over, um, Cam Reddish and, and Vanderbilt right now, they can't throw a pee in the ocean. I mean, it is 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 bad. Um, they weren't by themselves last night, but those guys in particular are the kind of what I'm talking about right now. Um, last night in the first quarter, the Lakers had 10 turnovers. Now, if you are a Laker fan or basketball fan and you, you know, you watch the Lakers, they've gotten off to horrendous starts all year. One of the reasons for that. Now, yesterday was different and we'll talk about last night because I think there's something there that we need to go ahead and really dig into. What I will tell you right now is that D'Angelo Russell, for the most part, was starting those games. Now, he injured his tailbone. He's been out for a couple games. He, nine times out of ten, will be going to the bench. When he comes back, I'm not sure. We're going to get into all of it. There's a lot of Lakers stuff that we need to get into. But, D'Angelo Russell... It's part of the problem. And I'm not saying that he's a terrible player and all this. No, I think actually if D'Angelo Russell could embrace being a spot-up shooter and occasional second-side initiator, I think that D'Angelo Russell could have a, a fantastic career. I actually think he can make a lot of money and stay in league for a long, long period of time if he decided to do that. What I will tell you is that the one thing that I don't love about D'Angelo is that he's very casual with the basketball. And it leads to crazy turnovers. He's also prone 
to take up ill-advised shots. That also leads to fast break opportunities or second break opportunities, you know, with the with the guy coming up from behind. The trail guy. They got to get serious about that. They got to clean that up. Last night was just an abomination. They looked completely disinterested last night. This had nothing to do with D'Angelo Russell last night. Nothing at all. This had to do with the Lakers basically not caring. Now, everybody will say, well, no, that's not true. These are professionals, whatever. I understand that they cared, but as soon as shots started not to fall, you could see the energy just just die in that team. And there was no one, not one guy on that team. Hey, step it up, step it up, step it up, step it up. Multiple players talked about how the Miami Heat last night communicated. Again, they lost to the Miami Heat last night without Jimmy Butler. Hawkes was doing dream shakes on, on LeBron, yo. Like, for real. He was he took LeBron to the post, posting him up about 16 feet away from the basket on the on the far side. I think it was on the left hand side of the court. West side of the court, and this is in the uh, second half, and just posted up LeBron, fake to the right, went back left, turned around, shot it right over LeBron. Now, the only reason I bring that up is because I love Jaime Hawkins Jr., and you know I love UCLA, but the uninspired play by the Lakers last night was troubling. In a lot of ways. Um, I'm not down with the rotation. I, I I have not really expressed how I feel about Cam Reddish on this podcast. But um, <laughs> here's the deal. When you are as talented and as big and as le- athletic as Cam Reddish is. Now listen. If you can't shoot. That's on that's you know, you can go ahead and get practice and whatever, but some dudes just can't. Then you need to buy in on the defensive side of the ball. And I'll hear a lot of Laker fans tell me, oh no, he gives great effort on the defensive side. How come he loses his man at least four times a game for like a easy layup or dunk? It's like re- it. It has to be four to six times a game. And I understand that maybe some of this wouldn't be going on if Gabe Vincent wasn't hurt. I get that. But at this point, you're looking at the Lakers. We talk about LeBron James and we talk about AD and we talk about legacy and, you know, and what they want to accomplish and all this. I told you before the year started, I saw the Lakers like as a seventh or AC. In the West, that's what they're playing like. They're playing like a they're playing like a playing team. The lack of movement is also alarming to me. 
when you see the Lakers get the basketball, now LeBron is a, a pretty plodding type of uh, offensive initiator, but once LeBron is not in the game, how come we can't speed it up and move the ball around the quadrants of the court, especially in the half court? Reddish doesn't move. Uh, he barely cuts. Vando does cut. He didn't cut a lot last night. There wasn't a lot of energy from him last night. I like to see Austin Reeves set a couple more screens, honestly. Um, he did play well last night. He did show some grit. But if you're a guy who's an energy guy like Reddish or uh, Vanderbilt, or hell, even Rui Hachimura. Uh, now, Rui's hurt, so we ain't going to worry about that right now. But move the basketball. Get some energy. Get some flow. Get something going on because... You don't have the F, you don't have the offensive firepower just to stand out there and say, hey, I'm whomever and just shoot the ball. You know, this is not Tyrese Halliburton. Cam Reddish is far from that. Tayshawn Prince has had some good games. He's had some bad games. He's what he is. He's a role player. But the Lakers don't look good. They don't get back on defense. AD is having to clean up way too much on the defensive side of the ball. And if they don't get whatever's going on, if they don't wipe the sleep from their eyes soon, they're going to blink and they're not going to be in the playing tournament. They're going to be on the outside looking in. And now we got to go through another furious rush to just to get into the playing tournament like last year. I'll say it like this. This is year five of LeBron James in a Laker uniform. And if you would have told me that we would spend more days under 500 than we spent above 500, I've been like, oh, that's crazy. We got LeBron and AD. There's no way. I mean, I can understand injuries or whatever, but we're not going to be this bad. Yeah, this is what we are. This is what the Lakers are. And now, here's the best part. We still haven't had the 10-game stretch of LeBron being out. We still haven't had the 10-game stretch of AD being out. For like a hip flexor or a knee or a back or a calf injury. We haven't had any of those yet. And this team is 17 and 18. They are now 3 and 10 since the in-season tournament. And now reports are that Donra Ham might be in trouble. Um, sources who said that the um, the non-firm uh, lineups that are out there and here's the thing I understand there's injuries and whatever 
But explain to me when you have D'Angelo Russell and you have Austin, how we start a team, start a game with Jared Vanderbilt and Cam Reddish on the court. Like last year, you're sitting here in his itty bitty guards all over the place. We had Russell Westbrook guarding six foot ten guys. Right? That was last year. This year, Dr. Ham wants to put everybody at six, seven and above on the on the on the uh, floor. Here's what I need him to do. Darvin, if you want to hold on to your job, bro, here's what you need to do. Put shooters on the court. Put shooters on the court next to LeBron James. Next to Anthony Davis. Now, if they can provide some resistance on defense, even better. But you putting two non-shooters out there to start a game next to LeBron, whose shot is iffy. I know he shot it very well this year, but that's not, history tells us that's not what LeBron usually is. So explain to me how, okay, yeah, you don't have Gabe Vincent, fine. I'm not saying you got to start Max Christie, but damn. He finally got some run last night too. But the Lakers are in trouble, and they don't look good. And it's not even about them losing and how they're losing. It's just the there's just the the lack of of resistance that was in them last night. Miami could get to anywhere they wanted to on the court. It wasn't like Bam had this great game. Um. Here's the oh I want to tell you there, there's three there's I have so many stats off this game that I haven't even got to I'm just on a rant right now. Let me give you some stats to back up what I'm talking about. Okay, first of all I wrote this down. Ad had three field goal attempts with 5:14 left to go in the second quarter. What? Ad had three field goal attempts. With five minutes to go in the second quarter. He wasn't in foul trouble. He had his normal rest. He didn't have to go back to the locker room for injury or to use the bathroom or anything like that. Explain to me how AD has three field goal attempts with literally less than half of the second quarter left to go. Playing quality Basketball. Here's the new slogan for the Lakers. Lakers basketball. No. They gave it away again. That's the new slogan. So the Clippers have streetlights over spotlights. The Lakers have Lakers basketball. No. They gave it away again. That's their slogan. At this point, somebody somebody on the marketing team for the Lakers needs to get on that. Actually, to tell you the truth, 
right, um, couple couple more stats. Um, this was horrific in every way. Now, here's the best part. So the Lakers come back a little bit. So in the third quarter, AD finishes up and has 24 points, 16 rebounds, five assists, five blocks on 14 shots. So he went from like six points to like 24 points by the end of like the third quarter. Actually, it was like he had like nine or 10 because he had some free throws. But you get the point. Also, the Lakers shot. Four of 30 from three last night. Four of 30. Hmm. Um. Oh, every Heat player that played double-digit minutes all scored double-digit points. So eight guys played double-digit minutes, and every last one of them had double-digit points. So... Is it panic time with the Lakers? Maybe. Does Darvin Ham have a lot to answer for? You betcha. And here's the thing. The Lakers still have like 11 more days before January 15th. And, you know, it really opens up the trade, you know, the trade market. So if they still and they ha- they're they're at home, but they're playing some teams coming in. Like I think they get Memphis one of those games, but they get a bunch of playoff teams on this homestand. So they gotta get it together. I mean, they better get it together and get it together quickly. Um, I just again, I am. Disappointed is not the word. Um, I think the word is just... This is what the LeBron era has been. You know, we had the title in the bubble. I will never I will never downgrade that title whatsoever. Because everybody had to play in it. Well, the thing that I want to say is that if... This is not the return on the investment that we thought we were going to get when we got LeBron James. We've had some cool moments. He passed Kareem as the all-time scoring leader. We did get that championship. We did get a run to the Western Conference Finals. But it's just being marred by injuries, inconsistency, not able to field the proper team around LeBron. I gave a lot of credit to Rob Kalinka in the offseason. I thought the moves were great. And now I'm looking at these moves, and I'm not like questioning the moves because I do think they were still pretty solid. I just wonder if you can continue to lean on LeBron James and Anthony Davis to get you to where you need to go. I will say this. The Lakers need shooting. They need it desperately. And January 15th can't come soon enough because I would put out all the feelers (laughs) for shooting. All of them. Anybody who's shooting 38-plus percent from three, yeah. 
Hell, if he can play some defense, even better. But I'm just telling you, we are looking for like 40% three-point shooters hopefully at the, in the 6'6 to 6'8 range. But those guys are hard to come by. C-O-G and Anobi, right? All right, a couple other notes per NBA University on X. Darren Fox on pull-up jumpers. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Check this out. In the nineteen in the nineteen uh, twenty season, he shot five point five field uh, field goal attempts at a forty two point four effective field goal percentage. At that point in time, now pull up jumpers. This year, twenty three twenty four, he is shooting nine point three. Field goal attempts in pull-up jumpers, right? He's also, his effective field goal percentage in that time is 56.3. Fox doesn't stop there. 41.1 on pull-up threes on 5.2 attempts a game. Crazy. Just nutty, nutty numbers from De'Aaron Fox. And think about what that dude has to go through in the West. Like, as far as guards is concerned, you still got Steph in the West. You know what I'm saying? They they somehow consider Luka Doncic a, a guard, which I know he plays guard. I'm just saying he's like 240 pounds. He should be in the front court. Um... Oh, here's another stat for you. This was so cool. This is also per NBA University. Corner three is Kings. Malik Beasley is has shot 78 corner threes. And he's shooting at 57.7%. Aaron Neesmith has shot 67 corner threes. He is shooting a robust 53.7%. In corner threes. And Dorian Finney-Smith. Has shot 67 corner threes. And he's shooting 46.3. The reason why I bring up the name of Dorian Smith. And Aaron Neesmith. Is that. If I'm the Lakers. Those are the type of guys I'm looking for. I need a dude. That can stand. And shoot. A corner three. We need shooters. Desperately. In the la la. All right. Uh, Oh, here is the best part. There was the grudge match happened last night. Okay. Um, Milwaukee and the Pacers played. Now, let me give you a little backstory. The last time they played, that was Ballgate, right? So Giannis scores the career uh, Milwaukee Buck single game record, right? He scores 64 points. And I guess one of the Pacers, Oscar Sheetway, had also got his first bucket in that game. And there was a controversy over the ball, and Giannis lost his mind. And was like, if you don't give me my ball, y'all not going home because we're going to keep you prisoner. He didn't say that, but basically that's what he looked like. My man was really heated. So they played last night, and uh, yeah... 
<clears throat> okay. So four Pacers players shot seven plus free throws last night. Okay. Now Halliburton had a good night in the sense of he stuffed the stat sheet. 26, 9, and 11. But can I give you a key stat here? It was the bench. The bench went crazy for the Pacers. Matherin had... Okay, look, this is their... This is their plus minus. Okay? Ben Matherin had plus 22. Obi Toppin was a plus 35. TJ McConnell was a plus 31. And Isaiah Jackson was a plus 29 last night. They were getting contributions from a lot of people. And they have kind of struggled since the in-season tournament. But they're starting to get it back again. And listen, they still can't play a lick of defense. It's still terrible. But last night, they bowled up. They definitely bowed up against the Bucks because we now have a little a little rivalry in the NBA. The Bucks and Pacers, I don't think they exchange Christmas cards at all during the holiday season. I think there was a bunch of animosity and like like me mugging and uh like wait till we see you again. Another key stat from that game is that the Pacers had 14 offensive rebounds and the Bucks had 8. Just numbers that we're throwing at you. Um, I like the Pacers' uh, competitiveness in that game. Like I said, they've been going through like quite a little tailspin lately. And for them to say, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to wake up for this one. And we're going to show you how... How you should be taking us seriously. Now, I'm not saying that Pacers are a, a a team that you really need to worry about in the playoffs. I'm not saying they're going to make a long run in the playoffs or anything like that. I think this has been amazing for them this year. I think just seeing the growth and development of Halliburton and some of their other guys has been great. But I will tell you that it is, that game was fantastic in a lot of ways. Here's a couple of the numbers that you need to know about. The Pacers scored 70 bench points last night to the Bucks 16. Tell you right now, Giannis and Dame are awesome, but they cannot do it by themselves. They're going to need some help. Middleton has played better, so this is not a, a Middleton thing. This is just... A bad game by Dame. Dame time was definitely postponed last night. I don't think the watch was working last night. 13 points. 3 of 16 from the floor. 1 of 9 from 3 last night. Again, it's one game. They still are one of the better teams in the league. And hell, it is... I just saw them beat San Antonio, which, listen... It's not like San Antonio is awesome, but that was a competitive game tonight. And Giannis took that game seriously after the loss. 
and properly put up 44 tonight. This is what winning teams do. And he did it. He was just like, hey, listen, we're going to shake that one off, and we're going to come in here, and we're going to beat a team that was up to play them. Because when by Yama was up to play Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they put on a show in the fourth quarter. So if you haven't caught those highlights, I, I would suggest that you do. Okay? Giannis put up 44, and Wimby put up 27. So the Bucks have a record of 25 and 10. So it's not like the Bucks are this middling team that have, has no identity. They are basically in a situation where they just got to tighten things up. Right? They, ne- they need to figure out what the deficiencies are, see if they have any ammunition as far as trade ammunition to go out and get whatever they can, um, whatever deficiencies they have. But a lot of their thing is going to be internal. As long as Middleton stays healthy and we can ramp him back up to close, listen, he doesn't have to be Middleton against Phoenix. In the finals. He doesn't need to be that. But a consistent 16 to 20 every night. Pretty good defense. And you know just his body just looking more lively. As it has lately. I think that is going to be suffice. But I love the game last night. I love the energy. I love the passion of the Pacers. I love that they were like we are not going to be stepped on by you. And actually, we're going to beat your ass. So, that's pretty much what happened. So, we have been promising you more draft coverage. And we're about to get to it right now. Um, I'm going to give you a couple profiles on a couple guys that I've been having looked at and have some thoughts on. Um, We will have something towards the middle of the month that will be on the website, which is frontrunnerpc.com. And we will also have a correlating pod that goes with that. And I look forward to Nico and his additive uh, information that he's been compiling and toiling for us basically since September. Since I promised that my guy was going to be here and coming and doing all this and everything like that, My guy is coming back shortly, but he's doing a lot of work in the meantime. And I can't wait to kind of spring that on you guys. So look forward to that coming in the next two to three weeks. All right, let's get to a couple guys. I want to talk about Ron Holland a little bit. And um, Ron Holland right now plays for the G League Ignite. He's 6'8". He's 200 pounds. He's 19 years of age. He is athletically, he's just athletically gifted. I mean, jump high, run fast, just agility off the, you know, off the charts. Here's the thing. He's a complete athlete. He has a, he has a nice frame for, um, and a frame that will fill out. Okay, so six eight two hundred pounds. 
is great body control. So when he gets it either in transition or if he gets like a wide open lane lane to the to the to the bucket, if somebody comes in and tries to defend him, he has a lot of just control over his body. He can manipulate it in all sorts of different ways to get to the basket and shoot the ball. And he's a fluid athlete. You know, he looks smooth out there. But here's the thing. You got to be able to shoot it, my man. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, I am not falling for the banana in the tailpipe again. I have seen so many 6'7 to 6'9 dudes who are super athletic, jump off the gym, look like Superman in basketball shorts, and then they can't get on the court because they can't hit a jump shot. So, I'm not, I know he's in the top 10 for a lot of people, but I can tell you that Ron Holland is not in my top 10. He is not. And again, this is goes off what I saw last year. And I wanted to definitely make some adjustments to how I scout, how I look at players, how I evaluate players. I'm not saying that he can't be a good player. I'm not saying that he can't check those boxes. But I, I'm going to need something other than uber super athlete to get me excited about whether he can actually stay on the court for more than three minutes when the other team is absolutely ignoring him. By the way, I see it all the time with Cam Reddish. All the damn time with Cam Reddish. Super athlete, jumps out the building, super fast, super long, all these things. And guess what? 29% from three. Not going to cut it, really. Really is not going to cut it. I want to check in with Ron Holland um, probably in March and see what the development of the shot looks like and talk to people and see what see what kind of work he's been doing. But right now, my man has some work to do. But definitely not in my top 10. Another guy that I want to talk about, he's not in my top 10, but I want to give you a name that you might have not heard of, or if you are that deep, deep draft Nick guy, you definitely heard of this guy. Tijane Salon is a six foot nine, two hundred pound wing from France. Okay, he's eighteen years old. Actually, he's about six ten. He's eighteen years old. Has self creation. He has good natural feel on offense. Like he he can, if he doesn't see you, he can feel you and get you the ball in the proper place. Okay. Um, he has acknowledgement on small players. So if he gets a, if there's a switch and he has like a six foot three, six foot four guy on him, he understands that he's going to go to work and go to work immediately before the double team gets there. And in the open court, he makes quick decisions. He can 
if he gets the ball and he sees somebody, he'll do the hit ahead as far as that's concerned to the guy who's already in the front court waiting on the pass, you know, getting the break started. So he's good with that. Good rebounder for somebody so slight. I like that. I like the just the ten- tenacity of this guy. 39.6 from three. Okay? 39.6 from three. Now, here's the thing I will say about Salon. He's only playing about 20 minutes right now. So this is not a big sample size. He's not taking... It's not like he's taking Duke and he's playing like 34 minutes for Duke and shooting 39.6% from three. But he's playing in a league of professional uh, players, a good league. And here's the thing. He's doing what he's asked to do. So it's like, yo, we need you to stand in the corner and shoot threes. We need you to hedge on screens. We need you to be a... um. Weak side rim protector. We need those things from you. He can do he does those things. He does those things in spade. I think there's more to the game. I think there is some you know, I think there's there's some stuff that he definitely needs to work on, but I think a lot of it's there. And I I don't know if he's gonna go in the first round. I think he will, actually. I think he will go in the first round. But right now, he has like a second-round grade. We'll see what it is at the end of it. But Tajane Salon, if you haven't seen the kid, go on YouTube, get the clips, start looking up, start getting your draft coverage squared away, or just keep it locked here. Just keep it locked here with Front Rudder Podcast Collective because you know we do the damn thing when it comes to the draft. Okay? That's what we do. All right, uh, I think we got a couple more. No, oh, I got one more guy that I want to talk about, and then I want to talk about one more thing, and then we're gonna get up out of here. All right, actually, this might be the last thing we talk about. Zachary uh, Rajashir, another kid from France, uh, marksman, forty-six point nine percent from three-point shooting. He has positional size. He's six eight, two hundred five, eighteen years of age. Competes, performs in a good league. Um, he's teasing scouts with the playmaking. He doesn't. He doesn't play make right now. Um, the defense will come with strength and age, as far as that's concerned. Or maybe, maybe not. Maybe it never develops. We don't. We don't know. We'll see. But Zachary Rissacher and Tajane Salon. Our two guys in France, you guys got to go check them out. As far as I'm concerned, I'm keeping a close eye on them. I'm trying to talk to people as much as I possibly can to get as much information on these guys as possible. And um, I can't wait to do the breakdown, but I will tell you that there's a good chance that Rashir is going to be in the top 10, just so you know. Because he's 6'8 and can shoot the ball. Ron Holland, 6'8, can't shoot the ball. This dude, 6'8", can't shoot the ball. See the difference? See see what I'm talking about right there? All right. So, you got draft coverage. We talked about the Lakers, Clippers, 
You guys are covered. And we'll see you on this feed in the next couple days. Y'all be easy. Stay on your grind. Oh, and by the way, I know it's four days into the new year. But this is the first time that I spoke to you guys. So, Happy New Year. Also, we want to um shout out our new listeners in France, in Brussels, in Germany. I want to I want to give a shout out to my people in Boston. You guys have shot up the charts lately. We get a bunch of love from uh Oklahoma City, so we're we're so blessed to have it. So again, I want to tell you two things. Uh, you know, thank you from the bottom of my heart. That's the first and foremost thing. And then secondly, you know, tell a friend, tell a partner, tell some, tell, tell a coworker to get on the front runner podcast collective bandwagon because we doing it big in twenty four, baby. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna have guests. We're gonna have. We're gonna have contributors. The website gonna be bumping. You know you're going to get YouTube clips. You're going to have a lot of stuff to sell on X. And it's going to be a good year. So, with that being said, again, y'all be easy. Happy 2024. And we are out.